Well, I know um, you guys are in a time of uh, transition, it seems like. I've been kind of keeping up uh, just through friendships with the staff and other friends here. Just the things that have been going on at Sunset Church for the last couple of years. Uh, and I know especially even the last two, three weeks or so, there's been a lot happening um, from staff turnover uh, to restructuring to uh, Pastor Joey being on sabbatical. And I'm sure through all that, there's questions of what is God doing? There may be a sense of wonder of, is God still with us? Or even just confusion of what is our church going to look like after this? What does that mean for us? And I've often found in these times of transition, these are moments uh, where God's people can either respond to God with humility and dependency, or we can harden our hearts towards him. And I wanted to preach from Jonah today. Uh, oftentimes, Jonah is a book or a passage, especially that, that preachers often use to talk about revival. We see here in Jonah, if you're familiar with the context, that just before this, in chapter uh, 3, verse 10, uh, we we're told that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. There was a national repentance over the city and nation of Nineveh. And so often this will be used uh, for pastors to talk about how God wants to bring revival to this great city of Nineveh. That's something that's repeated throughout. And while I think that's part of it, I think that's a question we should come to uh, with this text is, what does God want to do in our city? Uh, I pastor here still in San Francisco. And so the question for us, I think, is how will we see a great moving of repentance, a revival in our city? I do think that's a question that Jonah, the book of Jonah, answers. But I think more importantly, is a question of what will God do with his own people in that city, in the midst of that city? See, the book of Jonah, while it's about Nineveh, it's really about Jonah, the self-titled author. It's about his response to God. And what I would hope for us this morning is that uh, for myself, for you all, especially for you as a church, that you would be approaching this text with a question of how does God want to do a great work in us if he wants to do a great work in our city? What does he want to bring in us so that as we respond, all the transition, all the change that we're seeing, that God can still do a great work in us. And the very first place that Jonah starts off is that God has to begin a great work in us by first exposing something in us. God will not bring revival to cities until he first brings revival to his messengers in those cities. And he does that by exposing something in us. We start off in this passage with uh, something quite funny. It's Jonah's whining. Uh, and all these points have alliteration with the letter W, so you'll see that. But it starts with Jonah's whining. And if you're not familiar with the context of the book of Jonah, it's because he did not want to see Nineveh repent. He didn't like the city of Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which would later go on after the book of Jonah to subject Israel uh, to slavery. They would exile them. They would destroy and conquer their nation. The Assyrians in Nineveh were known to be a mighty, great, but horrific and evil nation uh, in their common day. And so in this repentance that they give and God's relenting from his disaster that he promised he would bring to them, Nineveh starts off by whining. And even in response to this great revival in the city, it's not rejoicing for Jonah, it's anger. It's funny, even if you see uh, the way that now uh, Jonah is described here in verse 1, we're told that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Uh, that word for displeased could literally be uh, evil. It was a great evil to him. That, and he was angry because of what God had done. Jonah sees God's act of mercy and he judges it as evil. He even quotes one of the most famous uh, verses 
in the Old Testament to describe God's character, something all of Israel would have known about him, would have known about God. In Exodus, uh, this comes from Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7. He's quoting there uh, in verse uh, 2 and 3. But in Exodus, we're told, uh, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And so when Jonah is quoting this verse, well, in his quoting, he was hoping God would bring the iniquity, the sins of Nineveh on their heads. And yet he knows because of God's character that because of their repentance, God brought mercy. I think it's fascinating. Jonah knew enough about God's character to not like it. He knew that simply because of their repentance, God would bring about uh, mercy over Nineveh, the city that he thought deserved uh, judgment in response to their evil. And I think the first thing that we have to pause and consider is, are there moments in our lives where we will see God move or maybe not move the way we want? And we pause and ask if these are moments of injustice and evil, even if it's aligned with God's character. You know, if you think about uh, today's generation, our, our culture today, they'll often look at God's character and the things they don't like about God are the fact that he's not, uh, the, the fact that uh, that evil still happens. Uh, people will say often today, you know, if God is so good, why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering? They have a problem with God's lack of compassion, it seems. But I think what's interesting is if you think about previous generations, it was the exact opposite. Many of us are from immigrant backgrounds, and uh, if you look, trace back immigrant roots, uh, often it, were, it was those who were fleeing from oppressive governments. And in their minds, they would have had an issue with God's compassion just the same way as Jonah. If God is really just, why does he relent from his evil? That's what Jonah would have been feeling a bit in this moment of whining, in this anger towards God. But there's also some whining uh, that Jonah continues on against God's character, and now he turns it into some whining about the circumstances of his life. You know, it's funny, after Jonah, we're told about his anger over God relenting from disaster on Nineveh, we get this picture of him going off away from the city, trying to find some shade in the scorching wind, and just kind of whining, complaining like a little child. On verse 7, if you look there, when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than live. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yes, I do well to be angry angry enough to die. I read Jonah, and it reminds me of my kids. They're two and five. And it reminds me of moments when they're fighting over toys. And I'll tell our oldest, can't you just let our younger child play? Or can't you share with her? And she'll just vehemently scream out, no. Almost as if she'd rather die than share her toy. That's how Jonah is responding. He's responding to his circumstances in this same anger he had towards Nineveh, and yet now he's turning it onto himself in his own circumstances. It's fascinating when he sees the, his anger at God's character. Now he looks at his life and everything he sees that's an injustice in his life becomes as big of injustice as God's lack of justice uh, over Nineveh. I think this is so often how we respond when we see personal injustices in our lives. Especially if we have some resentment or anger towards God for something. 
We can look at our circumstances in our lives and think every small thing that goes wrong or doesn't go according to plan is a moment of injustice that God needs to correct. This is something that I've struggled with in my own personal life, my own journey and walk with the Lord. Knowing about the sovereignty of God, knowing if he is sovereign, he is good, then he has a plan. And yet why then does he not give me things that I think are good? Why does he withhold things from me that I think should be good? Why does he not do away with things that I think are evil in my life? Uh, some of you have asked me how I've been doing lately. And uh, you know, I may have said, you know, it's, it's a struggle because our kids have been sick. Uh, seems like they've been sick since we left Sunset Church two years ago, uh, nonstop. And I know there's been a huge germ season. If you're a parent with young children, uh, you probably identify with this. Uh, if you don't, then I'm just cursed uh, myself and my family. But uh, not that long ago, I had this trip planned uh, just about a few weeks ago uh, that I've been planning for six months, planning to get away. You know, I was thinking I need some vacation time. My wife got COVID two days before I was supposed to step on that plane, which meant I was stuck at home with two kids quarantining by myself, canceling all my plans and my trip. And I remember in that moment, I had such resentment and anger towards God. I remember thinking, God, how could you withdraw this, uh, take this away from me? Uh, I've been a good pastor. I've been serving you, and yet you took this away. You, you withheld something that I thought was good from me. See, there's going to be things in our lives where we look at, and because we either don't have them or because God won't take them away, it will feel like Jonah, like dying over. There'll be circumstances and situations that we would rather die than face. You know, if you're a child or youth in this room, that may be something like not getting the grades you hoped for, not getting into the school of your choice. Or maybe exposing, telling your first crush how you feel and getting rejected by them. It can feel like dying, like the end of the world. Young adults are in here. I know often there's a struggle with the wrestling of life and, and seeing the lost jobs or opportunities, seeing lost love and things passing you by, feeling like everyone else's lives are moving along but yours. That can feel like a dying, a, a death that you don't want to face. Or even if you're a family or older person in this room and you look back on your life and you realize how much of the way your life didn't go according to your plan. There's situations, these situations we face and how we respond to them reveals something about what God wants to expose in us like he wants to do in Jonah. You know, commenting on Jonah 4, Tim Keller, he says that uh, the things that become the greatest evil in our lives, the greatest injustices, even as evil they may be, those are often the things that have become the idols and the gods we've worshipped and bowed down to. Those have become the things that we've seen as the, the heights of our worship. You know, when I started reflecting after going through that moment of quarantine, after cursing God for missing out on my vacation, started asking myself the question, why is that so hard for me? And I came to realize that as much as, uh, as, I, much as I'm a pastor, as much as I believe in the gospel, there's still a prosperity gospel at work in my heart. Where I think because I've done so much for God, I've sacrificed in my life, that therefore God owes me something. I deserve something. I deserve that vacation, that getaway. And there's still an idol in my heart that I'm wrestling with with God that he needs to reveal and expose in us. And that may be true of you since a church. Whether as you're facing this, uh, this corporate transition as a church or even just the individual things in your lives. Those are moments for God to expose in us the reality of our hearts and what we're worshiping. See, and in that exposure, it's an opportunity that God wants to reveal 
Is our heart with him or is it against him? Will our hearts stand with God or will we be opposed to him in the midst of our whining and our circumstances? That's the next uh, point here. We see that in the worm and the wind over Jonah's destruction. As we see Jonah whining here, there's now a switch that happens where he once saw Nineveh as the evildoer against God, and now he's replacing Nineveh and becoming the very evildoer that he abhorred. There's a lot of parallels here that go harken back to earlier in the book uh, that, that we don't have because of context, but I think we can still draw them out. Uh, there's some parallels. Well, first of all, uh, Nineveh is the great city that God now brought repentance to, whereas uh, Jonah sees it as a great evil. There's another parallel where Jonah is angry. In chapter 3, verse 9, Nineveh questions, they say, if we repent, maybe God will relent from his burning anger. And it's a literal uh, translation there. Whereas Jonah, he starts to burn with anger. God relents from his anger, but Jonah's just getting started here. But even more clear in this switch with Nineveh and Jonah is this repetition of these words for, for evil. We don't really see it in our translation uh, because the translator is translated differently based on the context. But there's a word that could be translated as the same root word for evil four times throughout this passage. In chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the word for evil there, uh, when God saw that how they turned from their evil way, when he's talking about Nineveh, that's the same word for Jonah's displeasure in verse 1. The same word for his own discomfort under the scorching wind and, and sun in verse 6. And the same word in chapter 4, verse 2, uh, for the disaster that he knew God would relent from. And all that goes to show that Jonah is now the one who's depicted as the evil one in this narrative. He becomes the very evil that he loathes. There's even this description where Jonah goes eastward. Uh, if you look at verse 5, we're given the description, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth there for himself. He sat under his shade till he should see what become the city. Now that eastward direction, it's not just a description of what's happening. This has theological significance. Anytime we see someone moving east or something coming from the east, it's usually a sign of God's destruction. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. After the fall, after they sin, they leave east of Eden. Uh, in the plagues against Israel, all the plagues that God brings come from the eastward wind, the east winds. Uh, and, and Jonah uh, is now the one who's coming outside of God's camp in the eastward direction. Uh, we even see this uh, in Ezekiel chapter 17, uh, verse 10. Will the vine not completely wither as soon as the east wind reaches it? The east wind bringing destruction. It's also something that we see uh, the, the sign of the worm was also a sign of Jonah's destruction. Uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 39, the worm is a picture of Israel's destruction if they did not obey. You shall plant vineyards and dress them up, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. See, this worm and the wind were signs of Jonah's destruction. And, and upon Jonah now is this sign that all the evil that God relented from on Nineveh, the question is now being placed on Jonah. Will he respond like Nineveh, the enemies to God? Or will he be hardened in his heart, in his anger towards God? He's depicted as this outsider to God's covenants. It's interesting, there's another parallel that goes on all throughout the book. Whereas every time God relates to, uh, to Jonah, 
Jonah calls him as Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Every time God relates to uh, other characters in the story of Jonah, they refer to him as Elohim, the generic uh, term for God that the Gentiles would have used. We see this in Jonah 1 with the sailors. They cry out to God as Elohim. Uh, we see this in Jonah 3 with the Ninevites. They cry out to God as Elohim. But there's a switch that occurs twice in this book, parallel switch. And one time it happens uh, where, where the switch happens from Elohim to Yahweh or Yahweh to Elohim. There's a switch occurs to signify what's going on with that person's place in reference to God and his covenant. In Jonah 1, we get the sailors, they, they refer to God as Elohim. And then once Jonah reveals to them the name of the God being Yahweh, they then cry out to God as Yahweh. And we see a similar switch happen here in verses 6 through 9 where Jonah is the one that no longer refers to God as Yahweh, but Elohim. Verse 6, Now the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, appointed a plant. And then verse 7, Elohim appointed a worm that attacked the plant. Elohim appointed a scorching east wind, but Elohim said to Jonah. It's this wordplay to signify that while Jonah was once God's messenger, his covenant bearer, now he is on the outside of God's covenant where once he was the insider to all, knowing who God was and revealing him to the sailors and to the Ninevites, well, now God is revealing, you don't actually know me the way you thought. Because of your anger and your heart turned against me, you now just see me the way any, other, uh, any of the other Gentiles do. See, God is using this object lesson of the wind and the worm, this very hungry caterpillar, so to speak, who's very hungry and eats the whole vine that's covering Jonah's head. As a sign to show Jonah this question, where does his heart stand? Will it stand with God or will it be opposed to him? And in, our, in the same moments for us, in our anger, in our questioning of God, in the moments of questioning what he's doing, in, even in our anger and our whining, the question God wants to pose to us is, where will we stand? Will we stand with God or against him? As much as I think we have license to bring our anger before God, you see that all throughout the Psalms. There's license to bring it before God, to, to wrestle with him. What we do with that anger will be a sign of where our hearts stand. It's an often an indicator of do we believe and trust his promises or not. See, even in these moments of, uh, of wondering about what God is doing in your situations, these will be moments where he'll put you to the test and ask, where is your heart? Where is it with God? The good news is this is not the end of Jonah's story. And neither is it the end of ours. See, in God's exposing of us, in his revealing of his character, he presents an opportunity. God presents an opportunity for him to work in us. And how we respond to that opportunity, we'll, we'll see whether or not God works that wonder in us. See, the exposure of our evil, the re revealing of where our heart is, it leads for God's opportunity for compassion. We get the last point, the wonder of God's compassion in Jonah chapter 4. God's compassion, the wonder of God's compassion is that it extends even to the most undeserving of people. That's the scandal of God's grace that Jonah was so upset about. In verse, uh, that's a scandal that Jonah has against Nineveh. Uh, we get this description of Nineveh all throughout where we're told they're a great city, the great city of Nineveh. It's repeated all throughout chapter 4. That's not a sign of Nineveh's moral greatness. It's not like when you look at San Francisco and say, San Francisco, that great city with a giant Salesforce tower, whether you like it or not. 
San Francisco, that great city with all of its tech and all that. It's not a sign of saying just how great and wonderful the city is. It's not like God is looking at Nineveh and saying, man, Nineveh, I want to go vacation there someday. When he looks at Nineveh and says the great city, it's a sign of their own greatness they've set up on their own. It's a sign of how apart from God, they've established themselves in their own wealth, in their own hubris, in their own economy to be a power player in the world. It's a sign of directly how they're opposed to God. That's why Jonah was so upset. And yet that's the scandal of God's grace is that even in a city like Nineveh, he was still willing to dispense grace. We get this really interesting description at the end of the chapter. I don't know if you noticed this or ever questioned this. I've always wondered myself. Uh, where we're told that they did not know their right hand from their left, and they had much cattle. Now, what does God mean in mentioning that with Jonah? I, I think not knowing right hand from their left is obviously not referring to the fact that they don't know uh, left from their rights, but rather it's a comment on they don't know right from wrong the way God reveals it to be. And yet, even in their lack of moral clarity about who God is, God still saves them. The cattle is a weird thing. It's literally the last word in our translation. Jonah ends about ends on cows. Uh, we don't know why. Uh, some people speculate maybe that's God's care for all of creation. Others speculate that, well, you know, uh, God, God uh, showed mercy even to the cows, so that's how much he cares for the animals. Uh, so this is maybe a humanitarian or, you know, animal rights activist uh, verse. I think more likely, though, cattle was a sign of wealth in their time. We're told that Solomon amassed great cattle and livestock in, when he was king of Israel. It's a sign of a nation's or a city's wealth. And so what God is pointing at is that even in their greatness, again, apart from God, even with all of that, if they simply just repented and turned to him, he would give them mercy. See, the scandal of God's grace is that he extends compassion to anyone who comes willingly to the foot of the cross. Now, that may mean there are people in our lives that we do not want to see compassion over. We don't want to see other people who have been enemies of us, who have been evil towards us to receive God's compassion. Yet even those are people that God wants to work out grace and compassion in. But I think there may even be some whole groups of people we could apply this to. Because Jonah was an Israelite. Nineveh was another nation against Israel. These were two warring nations, two warring races or groups of ethnic identities. And Jonah thought that God, Nineveh deserved only God's judgment, and yet he was willing to extend compassion. It's a question for us to consider, are there groups of people that we see in our world, in our city even, where we think they deserve justice because of their evil? Could we even believe that God would want to save them? Even just think about how Paul polarized politically our nation, our city have become. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this throughout election years. I can't believe so-and-so would vote for blank. I can't believe you would believe blank. I can't believe people today would still stand with that party. We, we have this divide now where it's not even racially, but it's politically where we see the other side as undeserving of God's compassion is undeserving of God's mercy and only deserving of his justice. See, even towards those people, the other side who we don't want to see saved by God, those are people that even God wants to save. That's the scandal of God's compassion. And I think sometimes 
God may bring us under suffering. He may bring us under our own sense of perceived injustice and evil, those circumstances that we see as evil in our lives, so that he can do the work of working compassion in us, so that he can bring us to a place where we see the judgment that's on others physically. You know, it's interesting, there's this contrast right after Jonah sees the destruction that was supposed to come on Nineveh and yet God repented, God now brings destruction on Jonah's head. Uh, He uses this object lesson of the destruction of the worm and the plant on Jonah. The language used over Jonah is quite literally they attacked him. Their disaster was upon him. The same words that were meant to be used of God uh, and his judgment over Nineveh. And I think this was meant to be an object lesson to show Jonah that even in the midst of him feeling the suffering physically, that was a small picture of what Nineveh would have suffered spiritually if they hadn't repented. He's trying to work out this compassion in, uh, in Jonah to the point where he even uh, reveals to Jonah in verse 10, you pity the plants for which you did not labor nor make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city. It's an object lesson to show Jonah that this small physical suffering is a small picture of what would happen spiritually upon those who are unrepentant. And it's a challenge to Jonah to to understand in the compassion of God, could he not now have compassion towards those who are around him? You know, I think so often we face suffering Christians, we suffer because that's a moment for God to remind us of the spiritual reality of of sin physically. You ever think about that? In your physical suffering, that's a moment where God is showing you physically a small drama being played out in your life of what's going on spiritually towards those who do not repent, do not stand with God, do not stand with Christ. Because in our suffering, it's a moment for God to work out compassion in us and to realize that there is a spiritual reality towards all those who are opposed to God And that's something he wants to remind us of, that his compassion still must be extended to the undeserving, just the way he extended his compassion to the undeserving, not out there, but in here. The wonder of God's compassion, that he does extend it to the most undeserving, and that included us. That included you and I. You know, I love how all throughout this narrative, God could have smited Jonah on the spot. Could have said, Jonah, stop being ridiculous. You know, I think about it as a father, he could have given him the spankings and sent him on his way. But he doesn't. He deals very gently with Jonah. Every time Jonah's kicking and screaming and whining, how does God respond? He says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And I often like to think that I'm a father like that. And maybe in the early moments of my kids kicking and screaming, I'll respond, is it really worth getting angry over, honey, sweetie? But, you know, just about two more seconds go by and I'm just sitting there. Are, I can't, are you kidding me? I can't believe you're crying because I gave you rice and not pasta. See, God is such a better heavenly father than we are. To the point where he so graciously walks with us, even through our kicking and screaming, even in our whining, even in the midst of what we feel is a perceived injustice. God presents us with this question, do you do well to be angry? Do you see what I'm trying to do? Can't you see that in your suffering, I I want you to see the mercy you've already received spiritually in Christ. That though this may be a moment of physical suffering, I've relented from all spiritual suffering over you in Christ. Though you're suffering now physically, 
Can't you see that there are others who are suffering spiritually? Can't you see that I've already withdrawn my justice and mercy over you that you deserved? And yet I've extended mercy to you now. See, our good Heavenly Father, He does not deal with us the way that we deserve. The wonder of God's compassion is not that He would save wicked people out there. It's that He did save wicked people right in here. You and me. The problem with Jonah and his misconception of God's justice, it wasn't that he thought God should bring justice to evildoers in the world. I think that's a righteous attitude. We want to see God's justice come. It's repeated all throughout the Psalms. The problem was that he misjudged, he misperceived that God's justice should only be on those out there and not on those in here. Commenting on this, on this uh, passage, Philip Carey in one of, uh, his Jonah commentary, he writes this, he says, it's not as if we should never desire justice. It is good news when an oppressor is toppled, the terrorist caught, the torturer brought to justice. The Lord does indeed take vengeance on his enemies, for he is the enemy of all who destroy his worlds. But the great danger is that instead of simply rejoicing at the vindication of the oppressed, we self-righteously identify ourselves as the oppressed, taking pity on ourselves and not on others. In our imaginations, the Lord becomes a weapon in our campaign to destroy our enemies, an instrument of our own revenge, rather than the righteous judge of all the earth. See, what Philip Carey is bringing out is that in God's justice, he should destroy and should have destroyed all people, even in this passage, including Jonah. And yet he relented from his disaster over Nineveh, but even over Jonah. In God's compassion, the wonder of God's compassion is that he deals with sin and injustice, but not the way we deserve. He deals with it at the foot of the cross in Christ. So that in Christ, all of God's evil, all of God's wrath, all of his injustice is placed upon the head of his son, Jesus. He removes all of his compassion from his son in those moments at the cross so that all those who now turn their hearts back to him in repentance, they receive not evil, but compassion. You know, in your time of transition, Sunset Church, even in your moments in your life, whatever injustice you feel like you may be feeling, I'm sure there are questions, is God working? Is God still with us? Why is God not giving us what we think he should? But these are moments that God wants to bring about renewal in you, in us. In the midst of these imperceived injustices, in the midst of the questioning, the wondering, in the midst of the crying out, these are moments where God presents this question, will we respond to the opportunity for God's compassion in our hearts? Will we respond to the exposure he needs to do in us so that we, as we come out of these times of renewal, we'll be ready for the great work that he's done in us but wants to do through us? I, I do believe anytime we go through transitions, especially for you, Sunset Church, this is a moment where God wants to present you as a whole congregation with this question of what will we do with the opportunity God is presenting for his compassion to be worked in us, to be sanctified. Don't be so blinded by anger, discouragement, confusion that we miss out on what God wants to do in us. Don't be so busy serving or doing things to get the church ready again that we miss out on the work he wants to do in here, the hard work the good work of working the compassion of Christ in us so that as you come out of this, as you go through this, 
you'll be so filled with this wonder of God's compassion that he brought compassion and mercy to the most undeserving, including you and I, so that we can then go and extend that compassion to those around us. I know Good Friday's coming up, Easter Sunday's coming up. This is the truth that we get to celebrate over that weekend, to look at the wonder of the cross, to wonder how God, why God would give that compassion over us, and to continually be reminded that there is wonder in God's work in us. How does he want now for us to work that out towards others? Let's pray together. Father, we must confess that uh, in, in these moments of weakness, we so often do not respond the way that we ought. We respond like Jonah. We look at what you're doing out in the world. We look at what you're doing in our lives and we respond with either anger. We respond with wanting you to do more. And yet, God, in these moments, these are opportunities that you want to expose and reveal in us what you want to do inside of us. God, how you want to refine us to be a people that carry your compassion to the ends of the earth, that are so captivated by the wonder of Christ and who he is, that we can then share that compassion with others. Father, I pray that you would lead uh, this church, this beloved church, to grow deeper in their understanding of who you are, grow deeper in grace. God, help them to, to see the wonder of the cross and lead them, Father, as a church, Got to be renewed in it, to be so renewed that as they come out of whatever transition period you have for them, whatever changes that will come, that they, they'd be a better off church for it, to know you more deeply, to love you more deeply, got to be used by you. Father, for all of us, whether we know you or not, whether we are with you or not, Lord, I pray that we would be open in our eyes to how wonderful, how awesome, how compassionate you are. And these truths of the truth of Christ that we have celebrated even in this coming week, God. Lord, impress this on our hearts in your son's name. Amen.